Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to the show. Today, we are talking about pupping biting. Okay, how to determine whether it's aggression or playing, how to stop it, how to work past it, and how to eliminate, as much as possible, the fact that your dog is destroying your hands, your feet, your ankles, your knees, everything. The horror stories that people have told me about their dogs just absolutely mutilating them. And they're like, oh, well, I saw on the internet, I just got to wait it out, the dog will be fine. Sure, you go right ahead and do that, but I'm not going to do that. I have different ways of teaching a dog not to bite the hell out of my hands and my ankles. And so we're going to go over it, okay? First thing you have to determine is whether it's playing or if it's true aggression. How do we do this? Well, the first thing you could do is see what's happening, right? You just record when it's happening. You could either have a friend record it with your phone. You could just remember it and write it down. Try to pick out the pattern. If it's when things are exciting and you're playing and they're biting you, clearly it's playing, right? Now, sometimes it's not that clear. Sometimes you go to move and your dog chases you and then bites you in the ankle. Okay, well, why was that? Was it because they feel they should be playing right now, they're in a playful mode, and you had to go do something, so you left, and now they turned and bit you? Nip-wise, right? They're not biting and taking out your Achilles heel, but they're, they're nipping to the point where it hurts. Or did you walk past them when they were playing with a toy? That could be resource guarding, right? They have something that they want to hold on to, and you seem to be in a threatening position where they think they have to act out and protect whatever it is is in front of them. So that's called resource guarding. They're guarding a resource because they don't know how much of it is left and they believe it is a limited supply and they need to protect it. So as long as that's not the case, okay, well, what else could it be? It could be that your dog has a little bit of a screw loose, right? We've talked about the five influences of behavior. There's a podcast on it. If you don't know what those are, I'll quickly go over them. We've got genetics, chemistry, health, early experiences, and adult learning. Those five, if you go through them, right, it could be health, it could be chemistry. Is there a reason your dog is nipping you because there's something wrong? There's an imbalance in the chemistry in the brain, or, you know, they're, they're in pain for whatever reason. Puppies have been known to have hip dysplasia very early on, which is very unfortunate, but they could exhibit certain amounts of pain-induced aggression, right? Pain-induced aggression is how irritable you are because of the pain you're feeling. Think about when you have a headache, right? There's nothing glaringly wrong. Your leg's not chopped off, but they're, they're, you're irritable, right? And of course, when you have a headache, you then catch your, your shirt on the door handle and you punch the door because you're so angry. Not that I've ever done that, but <laughs> you guys are learning a little bit more about me. No, like, if you get irritable, you just, oh, man, everything becomes so much more difficult. And so in a dog's mind, they can't rationalize it. They don't understand that they have a headache or their hips hurt, and there's no other reason for it. And so they sometimes act out. So you have to determine that. You have to determine if it is a genetic predisposition. Do you have a hurting dog? That is a huge possibility that they go, okay, well, I'm going to nip people in the ankles because that's what my biological purpose was for so long, right? If you have an Australian shepherd or a cattle dog or a corgi, even, I was just talking to someone yesterday and their corgi is starting to mouth and nip. Well, it's a corgi. And they didn't know because they didn't do the research beforehand. They didn't know that corgis were designed to do that. 
They were low to the ground, they rarely got kicked, and they were perfect for moving cattle and sheep, livestock. So, first you have to go through that. Determine, is it aggression, is it playing? Okay, if it's playing, then we can go through these other steps. By the way, I just want to take a quick moment and thank all of you who tune in all the time. You're constantly listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope there is value that you find out of these podcasts. So I just want to take a moment and thank you heavily. Okay, so now you've determined it's playing. My dog is playing. They are mouthing me. There is no malicious intent. They simply don't understand the rules of the game. Okay, so the first thing you need to do is start teaching your dog how to play with your hands. My favorite way to do this is to put treats in your hands and play with your dog. If they mouth you, nothing happens. If they bite you, if they go too hard, you can leave. You can end play. Okay, it's cause and effect. They bite you, you leave. That's done. If they don't bite you, and this would be your goal, play at a level where they're not going to bite you, and then reward them with a treat. This sounds a lot easier than it is, but if you start at a low level of excitement, right, you get down on the floor with them, or maybe you have to stand up depending on your dog and how easily excited they are, and then you work on building the level of excitement as they get better. But you have the treats in your hand, you go on the floor, maybe you move your hands around, get them to chase them a little bit. You could try playing with a toy, but that might elevate the excitement, so we can get to that at another stage. But you just want to build up their excitement to the point where they might bite you, they might mouth you. And as long as they don't, they get a treat. And you just open your hand, give them a treat, good, you move on again. I love doing this for breakfast and dinner. As you guys know, I'm always an advocate for using breakfast and dinner. It doesn't take any more time out of your day. You already have to feed them. They're already motivated. It's literally the perfect time. So you have to teach them how to play with your hands. Then you start building up the level of excitement. So you're moving around. Now you're running. Okay. You can do the same thing with your ankles. Clearly, unless you have incredibly talented feet, you can't hold a treat with your feet. But you can reward still. And if you're using a clicker, this is perfect. You get them excited with your feet, okay? Sometimes wearing thick socks help, especially if they were to mouth you. But you get them excited with your feet, and as long as they can chase and maybe sniff but not bite, you'd mark and reward. What you might find is because we're interacting with our hands and our feet, they're going to start interacting with your hands and feet more because that's where the rewards are coming from. The important part is to not mark when they open their mouth. The second they open their mouth, make sure you don't give them a treat. Make sure they don't mark. They should be as gentle as humanly possible or as canine possible. They should be nice and relaxed. They should be clear, level-headed. If at any point they start losing their, you know, they're going on a frenzy, you stop, you end play because they're just too excited at that point. And as we've already stated, right, the excitement is relative to their focus and being able to handle the situation. If they're too excited, they can't learn appropriately because they're just out of their mind. And if they're not excited enough, then you're not actually improving the behavior. Hey guys, I just want to take a moment to thank today's sponsor. The sponsor for today's episode is Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free. And there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. 
You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. That's where this podcast was made, and maybe that'll be where your podcast will be made. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Because the behavior only happens when they're overly excited. So we have to improve the behavior while keeping them at a, the right level. This is where dog training gets really tricky, right? You have to be a good judge of character and figuring out what's going on with your dog in that exact moment and reward them accordingly. So it does help to record your dog, figure out what their patterns are, right? Do they do a play bow before they jump at you? Do they, you know, step off to the right and then to the left and then come at you? Dogs have a lot of patterns that if we just recorded them and watched, we'd pick up on over and over and over and over and over again. So make sure you're doing that. The next step is to piggyback off of the playing with the hands and the feet, okay? This is one of my favorite exercises to do. Some people end up doing this by accident, but if you can think about it and actually do it on purpose, you can get a lot more out of it. So the idea is to get your dog excited and then stop playing. Okay, now I say idea because that's the goal, but it doesn't always end up like that. It doesn't look like that, right? So what I want you to do is whenever you're practicing obedience or tricks, you're going to use the excitement of playing as the reward with the treats. You can still use the retreats, but I want you to gain more and more excitement and then immediately go back to doing what you're doing. What does this teach the dog? It brings their brain to a certain level of excitement, but still keeps them focusing. We just mentioned, right? Excitement and focus are relative. So it helps them learn you can be excited. I have no problem with you being excited, but I still expect you to listen and I still expect you to have a level head. Okay, this is what they want police dogs to do all the time, and where we have where we run into problems is when police dogs don't have this type of training. Right? A lot of the training that they do is very high stress. There's a lot of excitement, there's a lot going on. And what ends up happening is you have a dog that is always thinking in this state and never thinking in a calm state. And if they work very often, you know, almost every day, they're always getting thrown in these stressful situations and they're always getting thrown in these these high excitement situations. And if that handler never goes back on their days off and practices really calm behaviors, that dog thinks every time they come out of the car, they're ready to go. Instead of every time I come out of the car, I should be thinking clear and I should be thinking level-headed. And if I'm asked to do something exciting, I can I can rev up and do that exciting thing, but I can always come back to focus. So what you're going to do is sandwich playing between obedience and focus work. So you might do sit, play really, really quick, and then stop moving, say sit, Wait for them to calm down and sit. Now, if you've been taking our obedience courses at Matador University or you've been listening to our other podcasts, you know I am huge about improving latency. I want my dog responding super quickly. So if you move, right, you say sit, you start moving, do 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 you're running around, you stop, you say sit, and they pause for a minute, they look at you, they're a little bit confused, and they start to move in the direction of the sit, you'd mark a reward then. Why would we do that? We're rewarding for the response to the cue, and that will quicken over time. They already know the behavior. They know how to sit. We're just getting them to respond faster and faster so that when we're stopping our movement, they automatically think, ooh, I should, I should become calm. I should do my obedience. And I want you to practice this with every single obedience behavior you have. 
So one session you'll do sit, the next session you do down, the third session you do heel, the fourth session you do weave, where they weave between your legs, whatever it may be. Practice everything you can possibly think of. And get them excited, bring them back to focus. Get them excited, bring them back to focus. Get them excited, bring them back to focus. And you should do this in life. So you're going to the dog park. You do obedience work first, you focus work first, which nobody wants to do because they just want to get their dog into the park so that they can stop pulling and they can relax and you can get the dog's energy out. But th- that is the, the prime time to do this. Why? Because your dog's overly excited. So you do obedience first, then they get to go into the park, and then when they're done at the park, you ask them to do a very small amount of obedience. They're already tired. Their brain's kind of fried. So you, you bring them back to obedience. It's a sandwich. The more you can make this sandwich a part of their lifestyle, the faster they will understand when I'm excited, I'm focused. When I'm focused, I'm excited. You'll see improvements in training overall because they're excited to train because they know there's a possibility of all this fun and running around and having a grand old time. And you'll see that when they're excited, they're also focused. This is a skill that you can practice. It's not, oh, well, my dog just happens to be very excited and they can't really focus. They're a nut job. They're goofy. They might be goofy. I have no problem with a goofy dog. My dog Tommy is the weirdest, weirdest Great Dane Border Collie you could imagine. He is the lankiest, most awkward, smacking into everything all the time. But I know as a fact that if I asked him to relax, he will do it. Right? Because we've practiced getting him up to that excited state and bringing him back down. He, he will take out chairs. I've seen him do it. He has flipped into a heel position so fast, and he's taken out chairs. <laughs> and it's simply because he knows what the expectations are, but he's so excited to do it. So he takes all the excitement that was out there and drives it into the obedience he was going to do. So when you're having a puppy that's biting, they take all this excitement and they put it into biting. We're now channeling all that excitement. And we're shoving it into a very controlled obedience routine that they already know. Now, I know what you're saying. Michael, it's a puppy. They don't know much. I hear you. That's going to motivate you to teach them more. If every day you said, okay, I'm going to work 10 minutes. I'm going to work 20 minutes. By the end of the first year, your dog will be immaculate. And you'll never have to do training for the rest of your life. Okay, you'll have to maintain behaviors. But you're not going to have to do formal training for the rest of your dog's life if that's not what you want. If that is, then you have a wonderful starting point. So the more you can build on this foundation, the easier it is. Your dog will learn faster in the future. They will be able to handle distractions like other dogs and squirrels and cats and bicycles and unicycles and all these things. Your dog's going to be okay with those because they know how to be excited and stay focused at the same time. Okay. So now is step three. Your dog can play with your hands and your feet. They're not mouthing you. Great. Your dog can get excited. They can stop. And then they can get excited again, right? Which is a sandwich. You go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Now is the important part where you do body handling. Now, when I say body handling, most people, and if you are not one of these people, I applaud you. Most people think, Ooh, well, I'll just touch my dog while they're eating their food. Okay. If you do that, there is a risk of creating resource guarding tendencies. Why does this happen? While your dog is eating, you touch them. They tense up. You let them go because in your brain you said, okay, I'm going to work 
10 seconds. And at the end of the 10 seconds, I'm going to take my, my hand away so that they don't get stressed. But you failed to recognize your dog was stressed right as you let go of the leg. Now they learn that becoming stressed, becoming stiff, becoming on guard is a great way to get you to back up, which is the biological purpose of resource guarding anyway. But it doesn't help us when we're trying to teach a puppy to be okay with us touching them. It would help us if we were trying to teach a dog to guard something, but it doesn't help us now. So don't do that. Or at least understand body language to the point where you know exactly what your dog is feeling and thinking in the moment that you let go of them. The alternative to this is to feed them from your hand. I don't know why more people don't do this. You'd have a lot more engagement with your dog, especially if you did it outside and in distracting environments. Feed your dog from their hand, from your hand, not their hand. <laughs> don't, don't take their hand and try to feed them, but feed them from your hand. There has only been one case that I've had in the thousands of dogs that I've trained where a dog ate from my hand and then bit me. I'll never forget this. It was a tiny little thing. It was a Sheba, Sheba mix, and it had a resource guarding issue. And we said, okay. And it was only with a very specific item. So we said, okay, we're going to use treats to redirect the dog away, which it had no problem doing. It was seeing a lot of progress. We had a couple weeks in a row where we were we were working on it. Then the clients, not ghosted, but they took some time off. They I think they went on vacation or they were transitioning or they were moving, whatever it was. They took a couple months off. They ended up coming back, and the dog was worse. Resource guarding everything. You couldn't get near it. It had bitten a couple people, and they were like, we we don't know what to do with this dog, but we're not getting rid of the dog. They were steadfast on keeping this dog, no matter how many people it bit. I was, I was like, okay. I don't think it was enough to be euthanized, but it, it, it had done some damage to some individuals. Anyway, they said the problem now is the resource guarding has gotten 10 times worse. It's guarding everything. It's guarding food, breakfast, dinner. You give it a treat. It's guarding it, everything. I said, okay. So... We just said, okay, we're gonna, we're not even going to touch the resource guarding. All we're going to do is give the dog treats. Can the dog take treats? And it had no problem with it. We then decided, okay, well, I'm just, we're just going to build the trust with our hands because that's the goal, right? If, uh, if our dog likes the fact that our hands are around, it's not going to bite anybody. So I have two hands cupped together with maybe two and a half cups of food. The only goal was to get this dog to like the hands. And so I'm there, dog's eating, no problem. Body was nice and relaxed. You know, ears were down, relaxed, everything was calm, everything was relaxed. No tension in the body. Eats all the food, maybe has a, a couple pieces left, goes to eat it. The second the last piece was gone, whole body changed, bit me in the hand. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> whoa. So I hope that doesn't happen to you. I think the only reason that happened was the food was now gone and thought maybe I took it. I have no idea. Uh, we ended up working through it. We did a lot more repetitions. The dog ended up being okay. Not great, but okay with you having food in your hand and feeding it. But it was one of the weirdest, bizarre behaviors I have ever seen. 
If you are a dog trainer listening to this and you've had that experience, please let me know how you went about it. And if you have a, a better explanation than an idiopathic reason like I do, not idiopathic as I'm an idiot, just idiopathic I don't know. It's a scientific term. But anyway, body handling wise with your puppy, you don't want that to happen. Okay, so if your dog becomes tense and you reward them by letting go, now they've gotten rewarded for becoming tense, right? You grab their paw, they become tense, you let go, now they got rewarded. But you also don't want to hold on to them when they're tense and force them to deal with it, okay? So what you're going to do is you're going to feed them from your hand over and over and over again. You're going to build up the relationship that your hands are good, they mean good things, they are positive. Now, if you have a puppy, it's a lot easier to do this. If you have an older dog, five, six, seven years old, and they're play about, um, play mouthing and biting, then you have to go a little slower just because the dog might not be used to being handled the same way, and a puppy is a lot more adaptable. So with a puppy, all you're going to do is while you're feeding them, you're going to touch them. You're going to remove your hand, and then you're going to take the food away. So the sequence is food first, hand, hand comes away, now food comes away. This way, the only time they get rewarded is, or I'm sorry, the only time they get touched is while they're being rewarded. Once they're good with that, and I mean you touch them everywhere, you play with their ears, you play with their paws, they should have no change in behavior besides just eating. The next step is to touch them first and then give the treat. Then the hand comes away and then the treats come away. Now you might use a whole handful of kibble. That's totally fine. I would prefer that because they can have more treats over an extended period of time as opposed to just nibbling on one treat and being stingy with it. Don't be stingy. Do not be cheap with the treats. And I don't mean go buy the $14 bag of treats. What I mean is give them plenty of treats. You can break up treats so tiny and give them so many of tiny treats and it will go a lot further than huge treats once. Okay? Milk bones don't count. I know what some of you are using. I, I know milk bones are great because they're they're easy, they're clean, they're efficient. Great. Use them for something else, not for training. They just aren't, in my experience, as good of a reward as a hot dog or cheese or, or any of the other stuff. It should be small, soft, palatable. It should be easy to swallow so you can move on to the next thing. Lots and lots of tiny, tiny treats. I used to cut cheese into these tiny, I mean, microscopic pieces. And my dogs would work for them. And they never gained weight. I've never had a fat dog. They just, they learned that working for that tiny piece is what the expectation is. And there you'll get so many more tiny pieces than just giant treats once. So now that you've, you've touched them, you give them a treat afterwards, then we go through our fluencies. And if you've watched any of the podcasts, I always talk about the fluencies. So you're going to go through duration. You're going to go through distance. You're going to go through distractions. Okay, and then you're going to go through the reward schedules. So how do we go through duration? Simply put, you just build a duration. So you might touch them for three seconds, then you give them a treat. Then you touch them for five seconds, give them a treat. You repeat that over and over and over, constantly improving how long they can tolerate being touched without pushing them too far. If every single session gets harder and harder, they're going to get discouraged. So make sure you bounce around. You do three, five, three, two, one, five, three, one, five, three, two, one, right? So you're moving around. So where they're not always thinking, oh my gosh, every single time it's going to get harder and harder and harder and I really don't want to play this game anymore because I'm not winning easy, right? Think about the, a video game or if you, if, let's say you won the lottery for two bucks and now the next time you go win the lottery, it, the price of the lottery got higher. Not the winning 
let's say a ticket, I don't know how much a ticket costs. Let's say a ticket's five bucks. And you win for two bucks. Now they know that and they go, ooh, okay, well you won, so now we're gonna make it harder. The ticket's now ten dollars, but the possibility of winning is still only two bucks. Let's say you win a second time. Now they're gonna raise it again. And say, okay, well you won twice in a row, so the next ticket's gonna be fifteen bucks. And you still only have an opportunity of winning twice. That just seems unfair, right? That's exactly what's going on with your dog. If we're constantly pushing them, they constantly think it's going to get harder. They don't want to train anymore. So if it was $5, $10, $5, $5, $10, $5, you're going to go, okay, well, if more often than not it's easy, I don't mind doing the hard stuff because there's a a potential for the next round to be easy. So then you work on distance. What does distance look like? It might be pressure, right? How close you are to the dog. How does that equate? The fluencies can get a little confusing around certain behaviors. So distance-wise, if your dog is really stressed out about you touching them, you might not touch them every time. And I'm talking about distance relative to your hand to their body. So the closest you can get would be pressure, would be actually pushing them. And I would encourage you to get to that stage where you can actually push them and move them around and they don't care. Okay, if you've ever seen police dogs or just Malinois in general, they're pretty sound and level-headed, unless you have the really crazy ones to where you can move them around and manipulate them and they really don't care. And it's probably because the breeder worked a lot on teaching them that it was okay. Or a guide dog, same way. You could push them, you could press against them, you could use them as a support, which I don't recommend, especially on younger dogs, but, or any dog for that matter, depending on their size and weight. It's a discussion for another day. I don't want to <laughs> go too far into that. But, right, so you might push your dog. You might have them follow treats for longer while you're still touching them. That would be kind of distance and distraction. So then distraction is doing it around other things. You could touch them with different objects, get them used to a nail clipper, get them used to scissors, clearly closed and in a safe manner, but get them used to a hair dryer, get them used to a towel, get them used to all those different things without having them bite it. And that's a very typical response of a puppy. They want to investigate what's going on, So once you touch them, they're going to turn around, they're going to sniff it, and they're going to bite it. That's the only way they figure out what things are. It's like a baby. They put everything in their mouth. Like a shark. That's why sharks attacks, right? Shark attacks are usually by accident, and the dog will let the person go. Because they just don't know how to experience the world without using their teeth and their mouth. They have to figure out what something is, so they bite it. And then once they know what it is, they're like, oh, okay, well, it's not what I wanted. I'm just going to let it go. Same thing with a puppy. Same thing with a baby. Everything goes in the mouth until they figure out that's not what they want, and they let it go. So use a towel, use a water bottle, use tinfoil, use weird random things. Get them used to anything that could touch them on both the right and the left side, on top of their back, underneath their belly. If they're laying on their side versus their other side, if they're laying on their back, all of those things are going to help them realize that being touched and handled is not a problem, especially when we're playing. Right? You can do the same thing with tug. So instead of using a treat, you just play tug with them, and you you mess with them while you're playing tug. And as long as they're okay with you messing with them, you play tug harder. You keep going, right? That's, that's putting all of them together. We got playing with hands, excited and stopping, and body handling all in one is playing tug. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Oh, well, I've heard tug will teach a dog to be aggressive. It won't. If you do these three things. If you don't do these three things, if you don't teach them how to play with your hand, if you don't teach them how to be excited and then stop with tug, if you don't teach them how to use bodily handling, then there's a possibility of your dog stealing that toy, wanting it, and resource guarding it because they think you're going to steal it away. 
which we can get into another podcast. All right, building trust with your dog. So make sure you're playing with your hands, rewarding them with treats constantly. Get them excited. Stop. Remember the sandwich. Obedience, excitement, obedience. Obedience, excitement, obedience. Everything starts and ends with some type of obedience and focus. That should be a rule. That should be tattooed onto your forehead so you can see it in the mirror every day. Everything starts and ends with obedience and focus. Then body handling in that order. Build up your dog's confidence. Get them used to being handled and touched without nipping you and biting you. Good luck. If you have other questions, follow us on social media, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. You can request questions there. Give me some topics. I would love to answer all of your questions through these podcasts. And thank you again for listening. Thank you for listening to the episode. If you think family or friends would benefit from what you heard today on Acknowledged Dogs, please share it with them. You can post it on Facebook. We are also on every social media platform, so make sure you tag us, Matador Canine. You can also head over to Matador Canine and schedule a free consultation to talk about coaching and reaching the goals with your dog and those problem behaviors. Reach the goals that you want and have the dog that always listens.